Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Shomon Katoshu Dai Niju Nisoku Toksan Takuhatsu Entangling Vines, Case 22. Toksan carries his bowls. Seppo Gison was serving as cook in the assembly under Toksan Senkan. One day, lunch was late. When Toksan came down to the hall carrying his bowls, Seppo asked him, the bell and drum have not yet sounded. Where are you heading with your bowls, old fellow? Toksan silently bowed and returned to his quarters. When Seppo told Ganto Zenkatsu about this, Ganto commented, Even Toksan, great as he is, doesn't know the final word. Hearing of this, Toksan had his attendant summon Ganto. You don't approve of me, he asked. Ganto secretly revealed his purpose to him. The next day, Toksan's lecture was not the same as usual. Ganto went to the front of the monk's hall. Clapping and laughing, he said, How wonderful that the old fellow has grasped the final word. After this, no one in the world can do anything to him. Even so, he has only three years left to live. Three years later, Toksan died. Still one day only. One day that changes darkness and light. Koin. Shade and light. Points to time. But measuring as a day is a purely human concept of thinking this is so and so long. We heard the Han the last time some hours ago. And right on it, it says, Make use of every moment. Every moment the light comes the light disappears, the shade comes. Darkness, brightness, darkness, brightness, darkness, brightness. Appearing in this world, disappearing, coming back, disappearing. If that is our lying down and resting, if that is disappearing in the breath, if that is disappearing in the chanting, if that is disappearing in the moment we almost fall down the stairs, this is the practice of Rohatsu. Every moment, every moment. No moment is not part of it. There is no refuge. You might think you can sneak behind the door and ah. 
it's ego time. It happens, of course, but everything in the universe, you know, tends to balance itself out, and we have to learn how to do that from one side to the other side and back and forth smoothly. Even in the chanting, even in the timing of the chanting, what we spent this morning in the Diamond Sutra in a fairly low speed, we made up with the Kozendaito this afternoon. <laughs> and the universe is very happy about it. And it also relates to the koan that we are looking at today. So the snow so wonderfully demonstrates to us what Hokuto Sensei talked about yesterday. Just sitting in the Zendo, taking, not even seeing, but having a glimpse by walking in Kinhin. It looked foggy outside. Fog like the affliction of fog that we might find in our minds during this session. But then as we have time, when it is time to look outside after the meal, oh no, it is not fog. It's innumerable snowflakes, none like the other. And that when we can see through, what are those seeds? What is that we make out of it as an obstacle to come against us, an object, when we truly look at it? It is unique. It is alive. It grows and it will ripen. The snow grows every, every inch. We try to plow it out of the way. And that's also a very nice metaphor. Sometimes what we try to do with our afflictions, let's just plow them out of the way all for our own convenience, because convenience is what counts. If we hadn't a need to go down the mountain, we need no plow. We could just wait until the snow melts. But after all, we are human, aren't we? Any humans here? So don't count night coming. Don't count the time. Don't count anything. Just let everything fall as silently and as smoothly as the snow falls. Can you hear it? Not in here. Outside you could hear it. What has happened to your preferential mind? Has it visited? It comes. And that's fine. Let it come. But let it go as well. The case today is quite well known as a case. It is number 13 in the Mumon Khan. Most of it, the actual case itself here, has a few more uh, words in the end than the Mumon Khan. The Mumon Khan in the case doesn't say that uh, 
Tuxan would only live for three years. That is not in there. And it doesn't also say that three years later, Tuxan actually died. So it is a little bit different than what we find in the Mumonkan case 13. And as you know, when we treat those of us who are asked to speak here about koans, when we treat a koan, it is always very important to connect with the people who appear in it. Why? Is this a history lesson? No, it's not. But they were human beings like us. They were human beings who undertook the same practice, who had some kind of a vow to follow this path. And we can use others, dead or alive, as inspiration to ourselves. We heard it yesterday. Just your being here is an inspiration. I will go in the order of when they were born. So the oldest of the three characters, of course, is Toksan. Toksan Senkan, he lived from 782 until 865. 83 years. In the ninth century, I would say that's a pretty old age. 83 years. We often take longevity for granted. The fact that we have food to eat that nurtures us the fact that we have heat so we can survive in the middle of the mountains in the winter without having to break our backs. The fact that we have toothbrushes that allow us to brush our teeth. You would not believe how many people died from bad teeth in the past. So sometimes it's good to be grateful for that as well. Hold up your toothpaste as the Colgate Bodhisattva in the morning when you brush and be aware this allows me to stay healthy. So Toksan, 83 years old. He appears in many cases, about 15 cases in the Shumon Katoshu. That is a lot. He was born in the, pro in the province that's called Sichuan nowadays, and his family name was Zhu. He was deeply interested in the teachings, in the doctrine, and the sutras as a young monk, devoting a lot of time studying the Kongo Kyo, the Vajrachidika Prajnaparamita Sutra. Have you ever heard about that? Huh? The Diamond Sutra. We started it this morning. Narrator Buddha Ensubuti visited to make it come alive for us as we follow along. He studied it as a young monk, and his devotion to it was so deep that he, of course, wrote commentaries. And he got a nickname, the Diamond Sutra Zhu. 
But then one day he heard that there are other Buddhist teachings out there, especially one teaching of the Southern Zen school where people postulated, mind is Buddha. And as we sometimes do, we think, well, I know better. I will go down there and I am going to teach them. Very important point already. Teaching from the point of view of feeling superior or thinking that I know is not really teaching. Anyway, he wanted to go down and prove those Zen people wrong. We all have heard the story, but I will tell it nonetheless. As he traveled down to southern China, he stopped one day at the tea house. He set his bundle of commentaries aside, making sure that it would be noticed that he has commentaries on uh, this wonderful sutra. And the purveyor, the person at the tea house, was the primordial old lady, one of those. Tenshin, touching the heart, but also dot and hearts, means refreshment. It means more, though. It means to refresh the mind, to refresh the heart. So this old woman at the tea house, seeing his obviously placed commentaries on the Diamond Sutra, said, the Diamond Sutra says, past mind can't be grasped. Present mind can't be grasped. And future mind can't be grasped. What mind is the learned monk seeking to refresh? Now, that was something that Toksan had not prepared for. He found himself unable to answer. not only unable to answer, but completely uprooted his faith in the commentaries he had written, obliterated with one statement from the very place that he had studied so diligently. Now here we find the true seeker. He didn't get mad. Ah, this old woman, what are, you what are you talking rubbish here? Bring me my tea. No, he didn't say that. Openness, he opened up and asked her, and found out where she had studied, with whom she had studied, and he took the name and went to that teacher. Ryutan Soshin. He went to Ryutan and studied with him. Shumon Katoshu has a lot of cases. In case number 128, talks about the way how Ryutan and Toksan interacted that led to Toksan's awakening. This is case 22. So another 106 cases later, we'll find out.
After leaving Ryotan, he went to another teacher, Isan Reyo. Isan Reyo, who then and stayed a little longer with him, and then after that lived in solitude for 30 years in the Hunan province. The time from 814 on, there was the Emperor Wu Zhong in charge in China, in the Tang dynasty. And he is known mostly for one thing, and that is that he created an edict that persecuted Buddhism for four years. It's interesting to think about that and to reflect on why. Because Buddhism already was a fundamental part of Chinese culture at the time. However, those in power are always suspicious of that that involves a lot of people. And the message of Mahayana, of all sentient beings are Buddhas, does not sound so good from the point of view of a Chinese emperor and those on the next rung down and those on the next rung down. So it is not surprising that the Tang emperors should have had ambivalent feelings about Buddhism both as a religious teaching and more so as this assemblage of people and of institutions that grew without them having anything to do with it. Temples, monasteries, monks, nuns, lay people, all of that. They also held substantial wealth follow the money. Not only land, how many mountains? That's really funny. How many mountains? It reminds me of Joshu Roshi, um, my ordination teacher. He came to Austria and we brought him up to the top of the mountain. And you might know that at the top of a mountain, in a Catholic country like Austria, what will you find? A huge cross. That led Joshua Roshi to believe that the church owns all the mountains. It's an interesting thought. Here, the emperor thought maybe the same thing. So he had this edict drawn up. And there's one little excerpt that I will read you from it. And keep it in mind. Buddhism has spread through the hills and plains of all the nine provinces and through the walls and towers of our two capitals. Each day finds its monks and followers growing more numerous and its temples more lofty. It wears out the strength of the people with constructions of earth and wood, pillars their wealth for ornaments of gold and precious objects, causes men to ab abandon their lords and parents for the company of teachers, and severs man and wife with its monastic decrees in destroying law and injuring mankind, indeed, nothing surpasses this doctrine. Now, if even one man fails to work the fields, someone must go hungry. If one woman does not tend to her silkworms, someone will be cold. At present, there are an inestimable number of monks and nuns in the empire, each of them waiting for the farmers to feed them and the silkworms to close them, while the public temples and private chapels have reached boundless numbers. 
all with soaring towers and elegant ornamentation sufficient to outshine the imperial palace itself. Over the weekend, the emperor went to Mar-a-Lago. So that was the hatred and the suspicion that people had of Buddhism. Emancipation and the teaching of emancipation is not welcome where the unemancipated are being ruled. And that is not just a societal things. It is also in ourselves. The teaching of emancipation is not so welcome by that that wants to rule supremely. This I am self to which we at times enslave ourselves completely does not like the sound of Shujo Honrai Hotokenai. All sentient beings are fundamentally Buddhas. Same, just in a microcosmic way. So in that time, Toksan also lived through that time. He took refuge in a cave on a mountain. This time, we can be reminded of this time, even nowadays. I know you're sick and tired of me talking about it, but I want to point out that the rakusu that many of you are wearing originated during that persecution time. This large kesa, the surplice that the Buddha wore, was too obvious to wear for those who were ordained. They were lay sized, so they came up with a small version, stitched together from the parts, having a ring. They made it so you could hang it around your neck, under your clothes. Followers of the teachings were putting their lives on the line to wear what many of us are wearing. So please don't use it as a bib. It will get ragged, but even if it gets ragged, it is like Toksan himself. It is like we ourselves will become ragged, how our elders are ragged, but deserving of the fullest amount of respect and gratitude. So once the emperor died, Toksan was called by the provincial governor to serve as the abbot of a monastery, Kotoku Zenmin, on the Mount Toku. Toku means virtue. Hence, his name, Toksan, the mountain of virtue. There, soon he attracted a large following. He often used the stick. And one of his best-known statements was, If you can speak, 30 blows. If you can't speak, 30 blows. So this is Toksan. The second character who appears here is Seppo Gison. Seppo Gison is 40 years younger than Toksan. 
So he, he was born in 822 and he died in 908. He only appears in four cases in the Shuman Katoshu. He was born in the present province Fujian and his family name was Zeng. Seppo is said to have been deeply interested in all things related to Buddhism from very young age. At the age of 12, he became a novice at the temple and became fully ordained before he was 20. During the great persecution of Buddhism, 845, he disguised himself in lay clothing, like many did, but nevertheless continued to practice with his first teacher, a Zen master by the name of Reikun, who also was the first teacher of a successor of Seppo, later Gensha Shibi. In 853, Seppo joined the assembly under Daiji Kanchu, a disciple of Hyakujo Ikai, so one of the disciples of the great Hyakujo. And there were two other monks in that assembly, Ganto Zenkatsu and Kinzan Bunsui. So the three of them were together, Seppo, Ganto, and Kinzan. They were training together. When you look at your fellow practitioners here, remember what we chant every, every time before a sutra starts. Opening this dharma. It is rarely met with even in hundreds of thousands of millions of eons. And that is Dharma itself. And here we sit with 30-odd fellow Dharma students, which seems even so more rare. And that is true for everybody. If you wear a Raksu or not, if you have a Buddhist name or not, and if you are ordained, your fellow nuns and monks, your fellow ordained practitioners, are the true treasure of what it means to be a monastic. Just like Seppo, Kanto, and Kinzan got together to study, we are here together. Sometimes we might get annoyed with each other, Closeness, closeness is necessary for that. Intimacy, if you don't care about somebody, who cares what they say? But the closer we get, the more we have these feelings. It's like a stone tumbler. I've often said that. You put rocks into a drum, they're all jagged and you turn it on and it starts turning. And what does it make? It makes a terrible noise. It's very loud. There's a lot of dust. And turn that damn thing off. But it goes on and on. And inside the, the rocks with their jagged edges, they go like <laughs> all the time. And then after some time, the sound changes. And when you turn it off, those rocks come out as polished gems. This is the life of formal Zen practice. 
the seeds are so many. The, the edges that we have to lose through rubbing with others are so many. The gratitude for that is also something to always keep in mind. So these three fellows, they studied together and then they decided to go somewhere else. They were very deep Dharma friends and they set off to an extended pilgrimage together. Various masters, but finally they ended up under Tozan, Tozan Ryokai, and Seppo served as the cook for the community under Tozan. At the age of 39, taking his teacher's Tozan's advice, Seppo left to study with Toksan Senkan, who we just talked about, accompanied by Kanto and Kinzan. Together they went. And under Toksan, he attained a degree of insight, but not fully. You might remember the story that uh, what happened. Seppo and Ganto were traveling, and as they were traveling, a snowstorm came, maybe just like this snowstorm, and they were stuck in one place. And Seppo sat down to do zazen very diligently. And what did Ganto do? <sighs> he lied down and took a snooze, which very upset. Seppo. Again, this is the intimacy. If anyone else had been sleeping there, <coughs> it wouldn't have disturbed his zazen at all. So Seppo reproved his brother disciple and, and, and Ganto spoke back to him and compared him, oh, you're just like one of those clay Buddhas that are in some shrine sitting around. And that kind of harshness, though, again opened up Seppo in this case, talking to his Dharma brother about his difficulty to truly penetrate through it. I have listened to all these various teachers and I had these realizations. And finally, Ganto said, haven't you heard that that which enters through the front gate is not the family treasure? At this, Seppo was thoroughly awakened. That what comes through the front door is not the family treasure. Very, very important. So they were under Tuxan when this story that we have in the Koan happened. All together. And when Tuxan died in 866, together they decided, let us go and find Master Rinzai. However, soon they learned from one of Rinzai's students that Master Rinzai himself had passed away. So Seppo founded the temple on the snowy peak. Seppo, Setsu, Yuki, and Ho, the mountain peak. He had 56 Dharma successors, included some important figures such as Gensha Shibi and Umon Bunen. The last person is Ganto. Ganto Zenkatsu, 
six years younger than Seppo Gison. 828 until 887. Only appears in five cases in the Shumon Katoshu, and also was a native of, the, of Nanan, which is in modern times Fujian province. His family name was Ke. He became a novice under a certain master, Shi, uh, in a temple and received full precepts again just before 20. At first, he devoted himself to the study of the scriptures like so many Chinese masters. But then, uh, as we heard under Daiji Kanchu, he met Ganto and Kinzan, and they became Dharma friends. The story we talked just about uh, in Seppo's life, of course, is also true for Ganto. And in the many dialogues that we find with Toksan and his students, Ganto usually is the one who has the last word. Ganto was the most brilliant of the students uh, of Toksan Senkan. And we find that in many of the koans. He was his Dharma heir. And during the time of persecution, Ganto worked as a ferryman on a lake. I think it was Lake Tungting, pushing the ferry over, over to the other shore. And once you arrive at the other shore, it's not the other shore anymore. And we have to go back to the other shore. Back and forth, back and forth. That's what he did. But after the death of the emperor and the resurgence of Buddhism, he went back and had his assembly. But what happens when political systems fall apart? Law and order falls to the wayside. The monks that had been laicized, they dispersed, and so Ganto found himself being the only one left behind taking care of that monastery. People started looting and the bandits came. They went through the temple. Nothing was left. They were very disappointed. So they took it out on Ganto and stabbed him. He was sitting in meditation. It is said that he remained calm, but his death shout was so loud that you could hear it for 10 li. And when Hakuin Day comes up, we might hear how this shout reached over many thousands of years to even manifest in Hakuin's ears and having a very, very important influence on him. So these are the fellows who appear in this case. So when Seppo Gison was serving as cook in the assembly under Toksan Senkan, if we are good at math, we know that he died three years later after the Taisho. So we know that Toksan was 80 years old, 80. It was in 862. Seppo was 40 in Ganto 34. The first time I met my ordination master, Joshu Roshi, he was 80 years old. And for another 27 years, 
he talked about dying all the time. You, you, you better, you, you better practice more diligently. Oh, she's gonna die soon. <laughs> so Toksan was 80, and Seppo was the Mishi Atama, the rice cook, the rice cook, so the head of the rice cooks. And it's interesting, you might have caught what this case, how it's pronounced in, in the Japanese version, Toksan Takuhatsu. Sounds familiar, Takuhatsu, right? Takuhatsu. When the monks go out carrying their bowls and they chant the syllable, Ho! To get rice. Same thing, carrying the bowls. Takuhatsu. Getting arms. How did the Diamond Sutra open? The Buddha did Takuhatsu in Shravasti, holding his bowls and giving a chance to the virtuous men and women to practice the perfection of charity. It's very interesting to look at it from that point of view. The old man comes down carrying his bowls, offering dharma, giving the virtuous Zen monks, nuns, lay practitioners the opportunity to practice the perfection of charity. However, <laughs> this is not how it went down. It's interesting to note that uh, at Mount Baldi Zen Center, Takuhatsu usually is uh, done, all the monks go out in a line and then they go through the town singing or chanting Ho and, and we will have a chance to do that also very soon, not in town but right here. And it was only the Jikijitsu who went. The routine was you had to leave Mount Baldi, which is at about 7,000 feet at 2 a.m. in the morning. You drove down to Los Angeles, you got off the 10 interstate at the specific exit and you went to the large produce markets that happen when it is dark. All the fancy chefs come, all the people who buy produce come. And the monk who came from Mount Baldi stood there in the portion where the most Japanese farmers were. You wouldn't get very far with Takuhatsu if there weren't Japanese farmers. <laughs> and through their generosity at the end of the selling, which was like 4.35 a.m., everybody left, we were given cartons full of non-sellable items. That means you got a big box full of half-rotten spinach. You lifted it up with your ropes and be careful that the spinach that has already liquefied doesn't make it on it. You load the truck in the back, the pickup truck, and bring it up and the tenzo comes out and brings it into the kitchen, and then one of the biggest jobs that had to be done then is separate the rotten from the edible. If you have ever handled rotten vegetables with your bare skin, you know what happens to it. 
It's a very distinct feeling, and if you do it too often, it will just crack open. And sometimes you could tell in the food that the tensor had not taken the right amount of attention to sorting out the parts that uh, were not so good anymore. And that Takuhatsu here is receiving whatever it is. I remember one week where at every meal, at every meal, we had blueberries. <laughs> what is there will be served. What is there will be eaten. Very important lesson from Takuhatsu. So Toksan here, Takuhatsu, carrying his bowls, encounters Seppo. Seppo, 34 years young. Am I right? No, I'm not right. Seppo is 40. Seppo, 40 years old, cooking. It's too early. The signal has not sounded. Where are you heading with your bowls, old fellow? That's a very interesting encounter. Here comes the, ab the abbot. So the first thing what you want to do is yeah, stick it to them. Right? <laughs> hey, you did something wrong. You missed a chant this morning. You did this. You did that. You're coming too early. Hey, you're late. It's not usually that way, is it? But Toksan, doing Takuhatsu, just silently bowed and returned to his quarters. No argument. No reflection of that critical mind. He didn't say, well, if you had cooked the meal on time, I'd be in the perfect place. No. Just receiving. Giving the opportunity, as the Buddha did, to practice charity. Well, we could say that what he received, that wasn't really charity. But it was one of those seeds. One of those seeds that had to come out of Seppo in order of himself becoming aware of it. Sometimes we wear those seeds like pimples on our face so that somebody can come and say, hey, time to squeeze. <laughs> So when Seppo told Ganto Zenkatsu about it, you can't believe this. The meal wasn't ready. We hadn't played the drum and the gong. The old guy comes down. All kinds of projections in there. He must have been hungry. Maybe his hearing is bad because he's old and decrepit. All kinds of ego states that project onto that what other people do. Be careful. Watch out what we project. You can't believe he just came. And I told him, where are you going? And I prevailed. I made him go back to his room. And Ganto, who had already been, had already opened his Dharma eye, saw exactly what is happening. 
and used this opportunity with the intimacy that he already had with Seppo to involve himself in this situation by throwing out more bait. He said, even Toksan, great as he is, doesn't know the final word. I can't remember how often Joshu Roshi appeared to me like a fisherman with his rod and on the end the line with a hook and for every person who came in there was a very special piece of bait. Come on to Doksan, here's the bait. And what happens? What does the Rinzai Zen teacher do when the bait is swallowed? <laughs> Yanks the rod and the hook goes in. And the student flaps around like a fish. <laughs> and the master goes, <laughs> That's how Rossi described it at times. But sometimes he also said, um, you come in and if you can't give the one answer, I cut you into two like a worm. And the two parts are convulsing and it is really ugly to watch. It is disgusting, the convulsing of that dualistic mind that was cut into two. But we have to see ourselves both on the hook, hopefully, before we take the bait, eventually. And sometimes we have to cut ourselves into two like that as well and see that convulsing mind that, that is so disgusting that we don't even want to look at it. So Ganto helping his brother monk. He hasn't got the final word. Sometimes you meet other practitioners from other Buddhist tribes, other practices, or different flavors of Zen. And at some point, the gossip starts. Oh, yeah. But this place, they have this and this person, but they don't have this and that. And criticism sets in. And all of that is so stay away from it. Stay away from it. Don't contribute to it because it is self-perpetuating. Nobody does it better. Nobody does it worse. And if we don't reach the maturity that we can look at all those practices and fully be grateful that everybody is doing their best, then we still have to go deeper and deeper. So here this is an internal kind of thing that happens for the benefit of the brother monk Seppo. And as it goes, nothing stays secret. Everything is exposed. Even if we put makeup on that pimple, we brush against something and bah, here it is. Toksan heard about it. There was nothing wrong with his hearing. And he sent his attendant, his Inji, 
zusammenganto. Hmm. You don't approve of me? He asked. But of course, that was not a question that Toksan had about Ganto. Their eyebrows had intermingled. And when that happens, the separation between teacher and Dharma heir becomes quite fluid. And in that intimacy, Ganto revealed his purpose to Toksan. The next day, Teisho. Toksan ascended the rostrum. We don't have a rostrum here. Roshi has to climb up on this uh, contraption that should have a sign on it. (laughs) (laughs) Danger. Do not mount. (laughs) But Toksan climbed up into the high chair and gave a lecture that was not as usual. How? How was it not as usual? Mount Baldy Zen Center used to be a Boy Scout camp. Everything is apart. You have to go outside. At this time, at Urohatsu, at Mount Bali, there is no way to not encounter the elements, as we call them. From the Zendo to go to chanting, you have to go a quarter mile on an icy path. Outside, with the wind, with the snow, in the 20s, whatever the weather might be. And it's the experience of sitting in the zendo and then going to Kinhin outside. When you step from balmy 50 degrees in the zendo out into 18, 19 degrees in your monk's robes without wearing heavy underwear and all of that. It is like a big bear hug. (sighs) That cold, that really squeezes the last bit of warmth and of life that you feel you have out of you. And you start, you feel that you start uncontrollably shaking. It is such a frontal assault. You feel assaulted by it, but you move on. You go to the next thing. Shaking and uh, your, your muscles, you think they are tight here, yeah. Oh, so tight, really frozen. It's quite something. But in the summer after Teisho, Joshua Roshi would always walk from his cabin down to the Dharma Hall to give Teisho and then afterwards walk back. And he would be accompanied by the Shika. And so the story is that one of the Shikas one day went back after Teisho with Joshua Roshi and he said to Joshua Roshi, Oh, Roshi, today your Teisho very, very clear. And Joshua Roshi said, No, no. My Teisho always clear. But today, your eyes and ears clear. 
The next day, Toksan's lecture was not the same as usual. Maybe he didn't even say anything differently. But by the whole setup for Seppo and for the whole assembly, it was different. And Ganto jumps up. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, finally, the old fellow has grasped the final word, the last word of Zen. Is that what he's saying? Oh, Roshi, finally you got it. Here's my stamp of approval. No, that's not how it is. Where does this old man end? Where does Ganto start? Is Ganto Toksan's voice? Isn't Ganto saying, did you get it? Do you get it? Even so, he has only three years left to live. And three years later, Toksan died. Mujo Jinsuk, another line on the Han. Everything changes swiftly. Mujo. Anicca, impermanence. Let us look together at that last word. On this long day, and let us live it from the point of engagement that this might be our last day. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.